Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is the entire regular panel uh, for the first time in who knows how long. Uh, I'm joined by freelance writer Julian Murdoch. Julian, how are you? I'm just ducky. How's everyone else? Um, and you're bringing the positivity. I like to hear that. I don't know where you found it, but I like it's it. deep somewhere in my soul. Uh, we're also joined by 80s hair metal guitarist Troy Goodfellow. <laughs> yeah, that's me. And we also have my personal favorite of the three of you, Bruce Garrick. Hello, How is he the favorite? What did what did he do? Is he he giving you blowjobs now on the side? Well, actually, I just I just see I just talked to him less than you assholes, so you know. <laughs> so our topic tonight is uh, something that came up during the uh, during the listener question show uh, a couple weeks ago. One listener wrote in to ask, uh, "Why are there so few uh, strategy games that deal with?" You know, peace, uh, nonviolent conflict, and uh, what are some examples of good strategy games that do deal uh, with unarmed conflict? Uh, now, as, as Troy pointed out, the the why are there so few part of the question seems a little obvious, but when you start when you start looking at what are really good strategy games that deal with things that aren't about shooting people, uh, it, it gets it gets a little trickier. Uh, so let's let's start with the first part of the question. Uh, why, why, why are so many strategy games uh, purely about armed conflict? Uh, because it's the most interesting and least familiar conflict for most people, right? Very few of us are ever going to actually be standing on a front line uh, holding a gun. We're certainly not going to ever be standing on, say, one of Napoleon's lines, uh, you know, trying to figure out the best way to take a hill. And so I think that 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 makes it more interesting. I think when we talk about some of the nonviolent things that we could be simulating, whether they're political or uh, you know other kinds of dispute resolutions, they're all too familiar, right? Those are the conflicts that I have to deal with every day. You know, my daughter is part of the Model UN program, and they're wrestling with you know how to deal with nuclear proliferation in the Middle East, right? It's a game in the sense that there are rules and there's a setup and there's a strategy. But it's almost a little too familiar to feel like a game, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even... The more I thought about this topic, the less I was convinced how rare these things actually are. Um, I think we just talk about them a lot because I think most games are inherently conflictual. I mean, strategy games are really no different than, you know, role-playing games. I mean, there aren't a lot of role-playing games about being an accountant, for example. Uh, They're all Mm -hmm. about, you know, armed conflict. uh, Wait, no, no. You said said most games are... Inherently conflictual. Other, other, yeah, okay, if they weren't, of... they would be cooperative games. Yeah. Well, I think I think Troy means like you know violently conflictual. Yes. Well, yeah. I don't know about yeah. that. I mean, what yeah. about yeah. like uh, you know uh, Princess of Florence or you know Goa or Agricola or I mean, there's a whole bi- uh, like there are like eight bazillion I, I games that don't I have anything. I, 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 I didn't say conflict. all of them, Bruce. I didn't say it was an exclusive well, thing. But most games, you're taking your your it's against an opponent. And in most, especially in board games, there's competition, um, and there's an opponent. And in both video games, it's violent confrontation. It has been ever since, you know, the first game was made, what, Space I, War? I, I think Bruce actually has an interesting point, which is that the modern definition of, like, a, a classic German board game um, 
uh, is almost without with very few exceptions non-violent right and that's yes. actually been a bit of a revolution in the last 15 or 20 yes. years in board gaming that was not the case of the best strategy games one could play say in the 80s right they were almost exclusively war games of the you know cardboard chip variety or possibly of the big you know cubular block type uh you know but still based on simulating violent conflicts you know settlers of Catan, i think has for right or for wrong has largely been given credit for spurring on this whole revolution in game design which right. w- w- which for uh, you know when when things do get violent it's often not kind of the point of it right i mean what a- virtually all the games in my basement that get any regular play don't involve actually killing anybody what about sorry or <laughs> Monopoly, yeah. right? You're a Parcheesi. No, I know, but I'm talking about games that that we now think of as sort of serious strategy games in the board game space. Um, you know, in the '80s, they weren't they they weren't nonviolent. They were largely war games. Well, I just I just wanted to uh, clarify a couple things right, right off the bat. You know, I think I misspoke when when I started off the topic saying that why are these games so rare? I think you have to make one distinction. You have to make a distinction between. Uh, board game strategy and computer strategy games, because uh, I think mm-hmm. right there you see you see so many more topics in general in board gaming than do than you do in PC strategy. Sure, uh, right there. I mean that you know that's a, it's very different what the what these two uh, forms of strategy gaming you know tend to cover. What about Diner Dash? Well, <laughs> That's that's the other that's the other thing I wanted to address actually is I I think I overstated how like as Troy said I we're, we might we're in danger of overstating how rare uh, nonviolent strategy games are on PC. Uh, that said though I mean <clears throat> I I do think there there are relatively few of them uh, especially if you do rule out uh, a lot of your uh, city managers or uh, builders which are often city managers themselves. So I just wanted to put those two yeah. caveats out there about this topic as we as we get into it. I mean, city builders are the obvious example. And think of you know games like The Sims, and uh, we'll probably talking some bit about political simulations. I know that uh, Julian wants to get onto that, so they are out there. But I mean, I know this podcast so heavily that talks about you know, you know first history uh, and strategy games, and it's always the conflictual sides of history, except for Agricola. Well, I mean, is it really all that interesting to? necessarily play a game about court intrigue you know in in you know british secession i mean yeah sometimes if you're a nut for that kind of history um but it can be awfully hard to model systems that give you satisfying decisions and good results and and lend themselves to telling a you know an independent story based on your actions. Right? I mean, we've seen lots of examples of that trying to get bolted into games like Civilization or, or sort of any number of games where the the conflict can be tangential and and often it sort of fails. Yeah, I I think uh, you you know you look at a game like Sengoku, uh, for instance, is you know a good example of just the challenges that arise when when you try to focus on. Uh, Unarmed conflict. Now, now, Sengoku has armies in the field. It has war and all of that. But I mean, theoretically, there's a game that you know, theoretically, it should at least be possible that you could win without ever finding fighting a battle. It could be a game, you know, about like you know, bring your family up the ranks of noble society, making strategic marriages, all of that, uh, making sure that you know lesser nobles in your house don't unseat you. But there again, I think to Julian's point. You know, the conventions for modeling these sorts of relationships and conflicts, you know, they, they haven't, nobody, nobody's quite hacked them yet, 
I think it, what do you, I think what do you mean? I don't understand what that means. Please well, explain that. Well, okay. So if you if you take if you take like the chit based the counter based war game, right? There's certain okay. conventions that we generally like understand, and they generally work like at attack and defense, and yeah, uh, yeah. Whereas I think th- there there are much fewer conventions governing things like I'm going to create a game about. Uh, you know, court intrigue and the politics of uh, royal marriages and such. There, there are much fewer. There, there, there's there are weaker conventions when you talk about modeling those sorts of those sorts of dilemmas. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I guess probably because they just. Well, I, I think this whole thing is kind of. There, I mean, gaming is just an escape, right? I mean, that's the whole point of gaming. So. As Julian pointed out, it's very unlikely that you're going to want to escape into playing a game about your fax machine, because you probably have a lot of fax machines. <laughs> so I mean, I, I don't even own a fax machine. Well, you, you know, about? but somebody has know, but, one. Yeah. It's probably it's over well, there. But, but it's to some extent, office. it's like, how much do you want to play a game about being a surgeon, right? And that's actually a genre for which there are games. Are there games about that? Oh God. Uh, yeah, that's Trauma so Center, right? Oh yeah, Trauma Center. Oh yeah, that's right. That's a, there's a famous guy that uh, uh, did something with that game. I have to look that up. But I guess my, the point is that, uh, you know, there's plenty of games that are about... Think, it's all about... Escapism is about imagination. Games are about escapism. Escapism is about imagination. And imagination is about anything that's really unusual um, and uh, sort of speaks to, you know, a human uh, predilection for competition. Uh, discovery. What about Source of the Nile? I mean, what could be less violent? Well, I don't know. There's a lot of things to be less violent, but what could be sort of superficially less violent than discovering, you know, exploring Africa, right? And and it, that's actually not a terribly violent game, um, but you get to draw little crayons and, and, and discover uh, the African continent. And uh, I think all those sorts of things like, um, I think you could make great games about a lot of things that aren't very violent. Uh, people just need to think about better game mechanics. So in that sense... Uh, I think Rob may be right. Uh, people just have to think about ways of making a game about climbing Mount Everest. I mean, there, we have tons of I mean, there's usually a whole lot of business sims. I mean, and they're still out there. Um, oh, they're, you don't, we don't have railroad tycoons anymore. We have games like, you know, Dawn of Discovery, which is and which is a great you know trading uh, game, but it also wraps in. It has to have conflict. It has to have you know pirate ships running around. I wonder if you could have a game uh, that didn't have that as an option. I mean, I think of um, a Supreme Ruler Cold War, for example. Mm-hmm. The, Supreme, the Supreme Ruler's Ruler series. Here a game set in... Well, Cold War was the first historical one, but generally they did this fantasy world of what the world looks like in the future, and it's a strange-looking world. And they have all of these options, all mm-hmm. of these economic things you can do in a whole variety of treaties. Mm-hmm. But they all, because, you know, this is the modern era. You don't go around conquering people anymore. It's just not something that's done. Um, unless you're, you know, Iraq and you end up want to get your head beaten in. I mean, things just, post-World War II, you don't go around and annex other countries. But, you know, the game still has that, this huge, deep, military side, because the expectation is that's what gamers want to have. They want to be able to build different types of tanks. Uh, so instead of making, you know, the treaties really, really interesting, and finding a way to make, to really capture what global politics is about, in many ways it does end up falling back on uh, what Rob said, you know, the mechanics we've already figured, we've already right. figured out. Right, and, and, and like I was saying, 
in those games that do sort of put these types of systems in. And we've had plenty of game, plenty of conversations about things like religion and espionage and politics and negotiation. We, I mean, this isn't a topic that never comes up. Right. And I would say that the average, uh, the average analysis on those shows could be summarized as, doesn't it suck? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty rare one of those systems actually works to the level where it becomes a really engaging part of the gameplay. However, civilization building and city building, you know, as activities in themselves, sort of resource management and building things, has become something that we really get attracted to, right? I mean, that's the basis of SimCity. It's the basis of certainly a, a, a play style for games in the Civilization series. Right. But isn't it, I mean, couldn't it just be a problem with gamers? It's we we all suck. I mean, well, Absolutely. no, the people that play the people that play the people that <clears throat> that are interested in playing games and 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 doing them in this way are people that have preferentially a, a sort of an interest in certain types of things as opposed to other things. Well, so they're not interested in uh, you know detailed uh, sort of. Uh, exploration of you know international treaties and while there may be a huge population of people who do enjoy that they don't like playing games you know the, or they have or they haven't <clears throat> had a game made for them yet well yeah but it's at the same time it is it is going to be difficult for someone to especially on the pc side of things for someone to commit to making a game where the audience is entirely speculative and, and to bruce's point though i was thinking uh before the show you know if you were to say well you know it, considering the games that are about armed conflict what if you what if you know what if you turn the question around and say well where are the games that are about you know wars besides uh, why do we have so few games about wars besides World War Two and the Civil War for instance and once again you get sort of this impoverished selection you know, I, I don't know to to an extent I think I, I think to an extent Bruce, I think Bruce might be right in that gamers have have these sort of have these strong preferences to a particular sort of familiar activity. And they don't necessarily show up for games that that fall outside outside of that box. And so, you know, to an extent that you know, strategy gaming doesn't inc- doesn't lend itself to that type of experimentation because you know, strategy gaming is already small enough. And then a lot of strategy gamers are really interested in not just conflict, but very specific conflicts uh, to the exclusion of even right. other armed armed conflicts. Cough, right. World War Two. Cough. Yeah. Right. Right, but I, I mean, I was reading this book by this, um, I guess he's very famous and smart, uh, Ian Bogost. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, I'm just saying I, I, I'm not really familiar with him, but uh, I was reading his uh, uh, book, uh, Persuasive Games. And uh, it seemed to me like he was talking about all these, you know, sort of we can make a game about, you know, uh, eating healthy, Right. Uh, you know, or, or about food production, and who is going to be interested in that? Well, people who are interested in healthy eating and food production, and that actually may be a huge population of people. But it may be that for some reason, those people really aren't interested in playing games about those subjects, whereas people who are interested in history are interested in playing games about history, or or, or many people who are interested in history are interested in playing games about history. Right. Um, but uh, I think we should have gotten some kind of social psychologist on the show because uh, I'm just, I have come no training in this whatsoever. So I'm just speculating, you know, out the wazoo. It's, I com- completely, uh, completely ill-informedly. So uh, maybe you guys can uh, can correct me here. Well, I mean, you're a neurosurgeon, right? 
Right, so I should know so about everything. It's, yeah, right. It's authoritative. I think. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, perfect. Yeah. So Dr. Bruce Garrick says um, whatever the hell he just said. Right. Now, I, I actually think that goes back to Julian's point, though, where a lot of this stuff is really familiar. If you, if you take the example of people who are interested in healthy eating and food production, you know, okay, so, so say you're just, you know, eating up everything that, like, Michael Pollan writes about, like, you know, the food supply, and, you know, you're, you've memorized Alice Waters' cookbook and all of that. Um, are you still going to want to turn around and say, man, you know what I really want to do is play a strategy game about creating a healthy and sustainable food, you know, food chain, uh, you know, industrial food chain? And I, and I think the answer is probably no, because again, you spend a lot of time already already thinking about these these issues. They they are mm-hmm. current, they are ongoing. It's possibly right. even something you live a little bit. You right. know, like mm-hmm. you're thinking about this stuff. It's a game you're playing when you go to the store, uh, and therefore mm-hmm. you really don't need that turned into something you can you know you can play on your computer or your or your iPad. Uh, just the same way, like office politics can be fascinating and maddening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you need do you need a game that's about like you know ri- climbing the corporate ladder within a small you know fifty person company? Mm-hmm. Well, but there are plenty of economic simulators out there, right? And and certainly some people play the actual stock market precisely because it has that sort of winning and losing quality to it, right? Right. So, but those people aren't are probably going to just participate in the stock market rather than play a game about the stock market. That's probably true. So I mean. You have a stock market. I can trade all day if I want. Well, I can't because I have to go to work. But, uh, you know, if I wanted to just be involved, and I used to be a trader for, for a living, so I know that I don't want to do that. But, uh, you know, if I wanted to kind of do that on the side, then I certainly could, and there mm-hmm. would be no reason for me to play some kind of game about it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, it seems like those are probably the, the, the two chief reasons. Uh, I think broadly you break it down into, you know, two or three chief reasons why you don't see that many games produced uh, outside of, you know, the, the conflict sphere. Uh, yeah, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the possible activities are very familiar, whereas armed conflict, you know, certainly has an allure. Like you were saying, Julian, you know, you're never going, you're never going to, you know, ride with Napoleon, uh, but it's cool to think about what that would be like. Um and I think the audience is uncertain for a lot of for a lot of niche subjects, uh, which is why we're going to be talking about board games so much in, in the next in the second half of the show. And uh, there was a third thing that uh, I, I quite frankly forgot because um, <laughs> I, I have a cold, and I've been I've been medicating pretty heavily before That's this fun. show. So awesome. What about the what about that uh, what about Troy's favorite game? The one about. Uh... Uh, the nonviolent protests. Oh no, my favorite game. Oh, yeah, force uh, more powerful. Uh, f- 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 yeah, yeah we, we we can't play that. We can't go through the show without talking about that. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a game that is designed about you know it's about politics. It's about mm-hmm. you know modern life, and it's a so-called serious game. It's you know it's meant to teach. Um, it was designed to help teach burgeoning uh, nonviolent movements about the importance of planning and the importance of not trying to get everything done all at once. And um, and and also tactics, right? I mean, it's yeah. I mean, one of the things that's sort of striking about that game is that it, it takes things that we think of uh quite seriously, or at least I do, things like going on hunger strike and 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 kind of trivializes them the same way that a war game trivializes the act of putting a bullet in somebody, right? I mm-hmm. mean, also an equally like holy crap uh activity. Um, but one that you know we don't really often think too much about in the context of our yeah. you know our video game. Why isn't the game any good? It's, it's not got issues. It's got its issues, and I think part of it is that you know, we were talking about how 
you know, the systems that we have modeled for uh, war games are really well established. I think part of my problem with A Force More Powerful is that it actually tries to use a lot of those systems, right? So a lot of times it feels like, oh, I'm instead of allocating, uh, you know, logistics points to get guns to the front line, I'm allocating, I can't even remember what the resources are, but I'm allocating, you know, my energy towards the hunger strike that's going on okay. in the prison. Right? And it yeah. feels very much like I've just replaced one conflict with another, and well, it's I mean, sort of a but coat then, of paint. But all, but all strategy games are about allocating resources. So, I mean, I don't think that's right, but, really But my point issue. is it just sort of feels like a paint of coat, I mean, a coat of paint over the same techniques that I already knew. Well, you know, I, I don't know about that. No, I, I wouldn't I, go that far. I mean, I, I played a fair bit of the game, and honestly, my, I think my main objection to it was actually it was at least in my experience it was incredibly freaking difficult uh this was a game that was sort of intended to sort of uh teach young prospective reformers and revolutionaries you know uh, how how to you know work a successful nonviolent uh political movement and i mean after playing that game it, it seems like what the game is basically promising is yeah go ahead and pr- protest that regime kid You'll be in front of the firing squad before dawn. Like, I mean, that's that was kind of my experience with the game. That's what sort of pushed me away from it. But a lot of what you are doing is, I mean, your resources are time, money, and personnel. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, so it's it's about managing those those resources. You've got a limited number of leadership figures in your movement. Uh, you've got, you know, you only have so much time to affect your, your changes. And uh, so a lot, of, a, a lot of it is taking gambles and figuring out what's going to be the most, um, you know, the most successful strategy. So, like, are you going to make a real push to sort of co-opt the police force and get them on your side so they'll sort of sit on their hands while you take to the streets? And that can be, you know, accomplished through letter writing, uh, you know, quiet conversations, protests, that sort of thing. And, and so I, I actually think it, it does do a very good job of making it making it feel feel different uh, it it does have sort of a war, war gaming aspect in that you're choosing your moment, and you you know there are moments of like mass attack, but I, but I do think uh, I I do think it does a very good job of uh, finding a new way to express an, a different sort of conflict. What about you, Troy? Well, how, how the hell do? You... Well, go ahead, Troy. No, I agree. I mean, I think it's I my issues are mostly that it was just that the difficulty spike was that there was just no tutorial, no explanation, and all the scenarios were so different from each other. I wonder how it stands on its own without a course around it. I could see it being part of a course to train these sorts of things, but as a game on its own, it kind of falls apart. But I mean, how the hell do you I, co-opt a police force? I mean, are you ser- I mean, are you serious? I mean, if you really wanted to be some kind of freaking revolutionary, how would you co-opt a police force? Well, what would you actually, do? It's actually pretty well done. Uh, yeah. so the, 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 no, what would you do? How would you go about it? What would you do tomorrow if you want to co-opt a police force? Well, it depends on the movement. There. No, you. Do... You're going to go co-opt a police no, no, force. But, no, but the point, I'm not, no, I'm the not point protesting. Of, what am I no, going to no, be But the point, of, the point of the scenarios in a force more powerful is that they're not going to make co-opting the police force a viable solution unless it was something like, you know, uh, a scenario about the, you know, a, the use of the police to suppress citizen, but, citizenry. But, but you were just talking about how you're going to have a course and how to do all this stuff. No, no, no. You think it's like a no, simulator, no, like no, a training no, tool? No, okay. no, 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 it, no, it, no. Yeah, it's, it is intended as a training tool. Okay, well, how are you going to do that? Well, okay, so... It's crazy! No, 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 it's not. Bruce, it's crazy. Bruce, there's, there's, a, there's a whole history of nonviolent protest movements that I know, do but how, police. Uh, from, I mean, <laughs> that, do, that do co-op police, that 
the police. I know, don't shoot but how them. are you? No, I'm not saying it can't be done. I say, how are you going to do it? Oh, you're, how am I? You're sitting in your apartment. I don't understand. I really don't understand the objection here. The like, objection is that you're tra- that, that you're you're going to sit down. Like you're sitting in your apartment, right, at your computer, and you're thinking, well, what I need to, what do I need to do? I'm going to play this game so I can uh, so I can co-opt a police force. No, 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 no. And then you play the game, and then you're and you're like, oh, what am I going to do stuff next? That we didn't actually say. Okay, in the basic scenario, you're dealing with a corrupt municipal government, right? It's it's okay. uh, it uses oppression. Uh, it's so your your goal really is to get real elections and uh, get some of your uh, movement leaders out of jail. That's the basic tutorial scenario. Now the police okay. force starts out supporting this corrupt mayor, but uh-huh. there's a couple like high ranking police officers who are actually pretty disgusted with the regime. And everyone's got sort of like character values, like what's important right. to them. Okay. Uh, are they interested in money? Are they actually interested in law and order? Are they interested in like social justice? So you try to find the leverage points. And what you end up doing is, you know, through writing letters and sending representatives to talk to some sympathetic, you know, police captains, what mm-hmm. slowly ends up happening is the police move to a position of sort of neutrality. Like if the mayor says, just go and arrest everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you If you've worked to build bridges to the police force for instance they will not execute that order uh right you know, so it's not you're not you're not getting them to make a palace coup you're getting them to be cops you right know any police opposed- captains <laughs> no, no nobody above the rank of sergeant okay so i mean i still am completely lost is how this how this training tool is going to help me co-opt let's say i'm like trying to like, the point is not the, whether the, or not the, it's the, a the successful the, training tool. The point is whether it's the point is whether it's the point is whether it's an interesting game and is actually a satisfying strategic experience. But Troy this brought up something about this, having a course about it. Well, if you, yeah. if you would have a, if, no, you would have if, a, if the game was part of an because the game is being used as a training tool, Bruce. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's successful or not, and it teaches just basic tactics. Like the whole point of covering the police force is uh, know who these people are. Get information. How? Look for weaknesses in institutions. How? By it getting to know them, de- by writing it, letters, by talking to them. It depends on the regime. It depends on the regime, Bruce. Prescott, Ontario. I want to overthrow the mayor of Prescott, Ontario. Okay, hang on. I'm going to, like, just some background on what this where this game comes from, Bruce. Uh-huh. Um... So the, the game sort of emerges from uh, some pro-democracy movements in like the late 90s. Uh, this, this game was actually produced in conjunction with a uh, documentary, I want to say, about the overthrow yeah. of the Milosevic regime. And it's idealistic and maybe it's stupid, but the idea was this would be part of sort of a multi-pronged approach to teaching reformers in oppressive societies uh, ways that they could begin to take political action short of violence to influence, uh, you know, their regime in a positive direction. So and that they, they, and they but don't it's not going to help and, Troy overthrow the mayor of Prescott, Ontario. Well, nothing can. And the thing is, these aren't all about you know. A lot of the things are like Rob said. They're going about you know relatively what we think is small scale stuff. You know, corruption in a city in a third world environment. Issues about small ethnic disputes or land disputes that are being run by government. These aren't all about, you know, taking down Muammar Gaddafi. There's a huge scenario at the end that you work your way up to, taking down a huge corrupt tyrant. But it's about building the general skills, ideally, this is the plan, of organization, of having a schedule, of protecting your leaders in certain circumstances. And of things like like rhetoric, right? I mean... I would would argue that, that by sitting at your computer and playing these games, you're actually 
actively discouraging all the skills that you're trying to <laughs> encourage. No, but but the point the point of the game is to suggest these things are possible. It's not. It, I, I would actually argue a little bit that I don't think it's really a training tool. I think that the 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 intent of the game, and here we are arguing authorial yeah. intent, is for somebody who was sitting there in the Milosevic re- regime to sit there and think, huh, maybe there is a chance things could change. I, okay. I think even I think just it's been in, going on for for a long time without people having to make computer games about it. Well, but yeah. but you know, more and more people get their uh, you know get their entertainment and get you know their information through the computer. Why not put that in a game? Okay. Sure. No. Great. Perfect. Except it's a bad game. I heard. <laughs> so so we're completely completely hosed at this point. Can't train anybody oh with God. it, and it sucks. Somebody get me another drink. <laughs> Tea, Earl Grey, oh, hot. Oh dear. Well, I don't know. I, I think it's. I, I think it's an interesting game. It's it's a game actually that I've always kind of wished had like a really like, you know, if a if a really like professional developer uh, took took that game and sort of tried to and, remake it and bolted really... it into Tropico. I always oh, felt like God, it should be yes. just bolted into Tropico, right? Right. Well, this has to be... but now. But now, okay. So so I'm I'm fascinated by that idea. Why? Well, not why am I fascinated? Because, why would because you think there are problem? there are systems in it that are really unique that I've never seen anywhere else. Like I okay. like I mentioned before, the fact that you you know if you're trying to overthrow a government, which is the kind of thing that's happening all the time in Tropico, right? Mm-hmm. Only if you suck. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying that's the perpetual threat. Mm-hmm. Um, that it actually has things like uh, imagine if you were playing Tropico against somebody. And the people you were playing against were doing things like, you know, organizing all of the churches to have an economic rally against you on the day of the election, or you know, people, you know, uh, you know, going on hunger strike in the prison to protest their conditions, or organizing a general strike of all your right. plantation well, workers. And I, and I right? think there's there's hints of those elements actually being present in Tropico. I mean, yes, they're just 40. starting to drop that in. But imagine it being a two player game. Well, I don't even think it doesn't even need to be two player, but I think like you know, Tropico Four. The problem that I, I sort of had with it was that you could you had all these interest groups, but all you had to do was you know push a little happy button on them, basically. Right, you just had to buy them off yeah. by giving them whatever they wanted. Whereas a force more powerful, what it's doing is creating uh, much more multifaceted political conflicts where it you know where it, it actually gets into the hard work of coalition building. You know, if you're yeah. if you're budding up with the factory workers. Uh, you might have trouble winning over, uh, you know, the tech workers who are, you know, this fledgling industry, but they're wealthy and they're educated. And how can how can your group respond to both their needs? And in Tropico, it's very easy to you press the button twice. Needs. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas I think it would be more interesting if in Tropico it was a little more of a, uh, well, a bit more like real politics, and that's kind of what a force more po- powerful is about, where you have to make those decisions where. You know, you you have to make a compromise between two conflicting interests that's going to piss them both off, yeah. right? And that 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 sort of compromise and negotiation part is the part of Force More Powerful that I think is the more interesting part. Um, and I think that I would love to see that in all sorts of games. I mean, one of my favorite to dip back into board games a little bit. One of my favorite games of all time at this point is 1960 Making a President, um, which is just basically replaying the Nixon versus Kennedy campaign. Um, and and part of the reason I love that game is because it is essentially nonviolent. Although I think there's a few riots in the cards, um, and and 
it's it's really interesting and and in many ways although it's certainly not perfectly in many ways it's very historically accurate i mean i feel like i know more about that election than i know about any election that's happened in my lifetime um because i played that game so much but what is missing is that sense of trade-offs i mean there's trade-offs in the sense that you've got limited resources and you could use them campaigning or you could use them pressing issues or you could use them for special events but there's never that sense that geez if i really go after the southern catholic voters I'm going to be losing something in the Northeast, right? There's never that real sense of straddling that line. And I think so many nonviolent situations that are interesting, like, say, our current political election, um, are these kinds of trade-offs between interest groups that can never be fully satisfied. And I'd love to see more of that. I, I can't think of very many games that have really ever done that. I mean, I suppose in some sense, city builders do that because, uh, you know, you're always sort of robbing to Peter to pay Paul in a city builder. Well, I mean, I think the problem that you have with a lot of these, this kind of game is that just like, and I, I like 1962, although it, it's it's pretty much impossible to lose as Nixon if you know how to play the game. Um, hey, did I ever tell you the, about the time that I was Nixon and I got 30 electoral votes and Julian got like 435? <laughs> that means I have to play Julian. Uh, <laughs> but the point is that I think a lot of the this kind of thing requires a system that sort of quantifies and all the relationships are you know, made explicit, you know, as part of the game design. Because otherwise, I mean, right. if, you, if you don't know how something's going to interact with something else, then you can't really make a game out of it. And that's the actual interesting part about, for example, an election, is that you actually don't know what's going to happen if you do something and how, what the what the various relationships and, and, and power structures are and, uh, you know, social psychology and, and everything. You, you really don't know how that's going to shake out. And, and it's so interesting to see what actually happens but in a in a in a game you have to set out ahead of time well you know if i play four points to the greens then i'm gonna lose you know whatever the you know suburban republicans so you kind of you can just game the whole thing and that's the part of it that's uh that you that you lose immediately uh and i think this the the same thing happens with any of these kind of like protest games or uh you know um uh, you know, military conflict is is more quantifiable, um, and so it, it's easier to say, well, you know, if I if I concentrate, you know, three Panzer divisions against this one, you know, French one French reserve company, that they're gonna, you know, blow them up. Uh, but you you don't really know how social interactions are gonna are gonna shake out. So um, I think that having them be, it, 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 they almost these games play almost they have this formulaic quality to them. Um, the thing that makes Nixon versus Kennedy so good is that it's it's really clear how to play the game as Nixon. It's really clear how to play the game as Kennedy. Uh, the the mechanics have been sort of codified in such a way that you it's really hard to play against your strengths as right. one of the two sides. So the thing that makes the game interesting is one the you know the interplay of the two players because people make mistakes and and you're being able to jump on somebody's mistake is is uh you know an inherent interesting part of the game but the second thing is just how aesthetically well done that game is and how much uh how for people who are interested in that part of history how many historical hooks you know all the cards have um you know interesting historical events or or uh, facts or you know um, observations that people can sort of latch onto, and 
they get this experience, this, this uh, escapist entertainment experience out of their interest in history and the correlation of their interest in history to the components of the game. And that's really, really well done. And I think if that weren't so well done, then you wouldn't... Uh, I mean, I just love picking up cards that have Richard Nixon on them and looking at Richard Nixon. I mean, that's a great thing. I just love that. <laughs> Especially so the one where he's got the lazy shave, right? It's great, yeah. It's so, so, I mean, the, like the good oh, the, the good Nixon cards and the bad Nixon cards. I mean, it just... I love that. I mean, that, I, I would love to sit and spend two hours playing a game where I could repeatedly pick up cards that have Richard Nixon on them. Oh, so, God. So the rest of it, you know, is, is a game that is a little bit formulaic, but uh, uh, it has a lot of reward. Well, is that? I wonder then is part of the problem we we see in a lot of uh, games dealing with nonviolent conflict just a just a lack of that particular type of imagination. Where 1960s game about a hotly contested election, but it's also you know the cards you play are these you know seminal moments in American political history, and you know you play the Rat Pack. You know, where where it's yeah, it's got these great components. It's it's fun to play mm-hmm. uh the high hopes card where right. I mean you know, where Kennedy's fortunes can just turn around in the space of a Sinatra song, basically. Mm-hmm. Um whereas I think it, you know, especially in PC gaming, you know, if it's not if it's nonviolent, uh chances are you're going to be playing around with a spreadsheet and yeah. not these right. slices of uh you know, historical experience. Although I mean nineteen sixty is a spreadsheet also. It's just that you're playing it in a way that you you can't have the spreadsheet you, you can't manipulate the spreadsheet at, in in as minute a way that you could with uh, you know Hearts of Iron three which I played a few months ago is a giant spreadsheet but you can sit there and manipulate everything to such an extent that it almost becomes not really very interesting and the only interesting part of it is the you know the sort of building your slowly building your whatever plan that you have and seeing if it works or not. Um, but uh, I mean, I think the is it the game table, um, mm-hmm. the game yeah. table online. Yeah, that implementation uh, at any given time shows you. I think is, uh, I haven't played it in. in yeah, a, it shows in, you what, the, what you, whether you're winning or losing you right. know, based on current ba- situation. Exactly, yeah. it tells you. Uh, you know, it shows you exactly how many electoral votes you know you you control and how many opponent controls. And I think that actually detracts from the game because. All of those, you know, I could imagine a thing where you clicked on a card and it would tell you, you know, if you played this card, what would be the electoral vote swing if, you know, you just played it in, you know, in support cubes or whatever. Um, And I think that that kind of uncertainty, that sort of not quite knowing, having an idea but not really knowing what the effect of your card play is going to be, is sort of the same thing as not really knowing what the power relationships or the consequences of a certain you know, uh, Rick Perry has a bad debate. How is that really going to affect Rick Perry? Well, if you have a if you have a game that clearly defines what you know what the outcome and 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 consequences of a of a debate are, then you you know exactly what's going to happen. But in an actual campaign, you have no idea, and that's one of right. the things you know. You wake up in the morning like, wow, what, I wonder what's going to happen now. So I, mm. I think it's very difficult mm. to capture all these these non violent these nonviolent uh outcomes in a game mechanic and you know whereas military uh outcomes are are much more quantifiable and you can sort of say you know like i I deliver this number of bombs to some target and it i'm probably going to destroy this number of of uh you know enemy troops or munitions or whatever and i think that's the same reason that that um stock market games don't work because 
everybody presumes that there's some, and it's I think it's very true, having worked in the stock market, that you know there's a psychological component to the stock market. It's not completely random. I'm not a random walk guy, but uh, and I and I, I'm a more you know I I've, I I think there's a you know fundamental component, psychological component, but I, I really don't like the random walk down Wall Street kind of. Uh, 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 interpretation, although I'm not sure that the data may not support me. But the point is, if you codify stock market results in some sort of game system, then all you need to do is figure out what the mechanic is. Right. right. And that immediately makes the game uninteresting because one of the things about the stock market is so it, it feels it, at the worst time when you're losing a lot of money, it can feel so unknowable. Like you have no idea what's going on and how the, all of your idea of how the world works and how this market is configured just completely falls apart. And you you sort of have to, you know, rethink your entire understanding of, of, of what you're doing. And you can't do that in a game because the game is rules. And if the rules say something, then all you have to do is figure out how those rules work and you're never at a loss. You always know what you did wrong. So I think that, that uh, it doesn't... You could make the argument that games that have definite, you know, definable, quantifiable outcomes are always going to be, you know, somehow better games or more interesting than the ones that have these soft outcomes. Like, you know, I convinced, you know, I, I, uh, I uh, co-opted, you know, three police forces or whatever. But I don't think so because, you know, financial simulators are so hard to get right because on one hand... The whole point is how much money did I make in my whatever uh, in in my game session, but if you if you no matter how complicated you make the system, a gamer's going to figure it out, and at that point, it becomes completely uninteresting. The other option is to make it random, which is also uninteresting because then right. it's just uh, you know it's it's roulette. So um, I think that uh, I think that's a really big problem with this kind of game. Uh, that you can't really that that to make it interesting you have to it's almost like you have to have a life simulator well that's what the sims is probably the most popular sure. strategy game ever made it's a certainly well unless you get into a brawl with your neighbor mm-hmm. it's designed to be a, a non-violent game it is a life simulator mm-hmm. it's full of conflict full of challenges full of resources to manage and it's probably the uh paradigmatic non-violent strategy game mm-hmm. that has just a huge audience. I agree, and, but it also has a system that you can figure out. Oh, absolutely. So do your war games. I mean, that's all, they're all about the systems. So That's true. I agree. War games certainly quantify an awful lot of stuff, but uh, ultimately there are like there, there are dice rolls at, at the heart of the system. But their, their, their impact might be marginal, but you're, 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 still, you're still seeing the effect of, of some sort of like random variance in the outcomes. Uh, whereas I I don't know I mean it, it does seem like most your most financial games business games, uh, really do tend to avoid uh, that that type of that type of random chance at least as far as I can tell. Where well, I mean Railroad Tycoon had you know random events uh, from time to time as I recall. Right, so, but I it, mean, but their but their impact is so clear and quickly understood yes. too. Right, sure. But once again, Railroad Tycoon, I mean, all those games, and like you're talking about, you know, with The Sims, I mean, all those games have hooks that are not, they're not about the actual, you know, outcome. It's about, you know, the world creation and your little avatars and... Wish fulfillment. 
yeah, yeah, exactly. And the then and and uh, railroad tycoon is all you know all about playing playing with trains. It's when you ta- I think it's when you take these things and try to abstract them, and you know make you know make them into games of ideas that you that's that's when you you sort of lose your lose your uh, you lose your ability to, to sort of codify them in a rule set. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure games have to be about ideas just because they're nonviolent. I mean, we raised, we spent a lot of time on. Well, yeah, know, for instance, of Florence, Florence sure, yeah. um, uh, so, uh, uh, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, if yeah, you're, if you're, if you're going to, but if your game's going, if you're going to make you know the nonviolence or make a game about politics or business and the like, then yes, you absolutely do face certain call. challenges. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can all. It's everything, right? It's about competition. I, I think in um, certainly in, I don't know in in. In board strategy games, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I think of the of the more Euro type. You know, they they do feature competition, but it it seems like so many of them f- feature sort of a very indirect form of competition. Um, I hate to bring it back to Agricola, but right now other examples escape me. Them, I'm sure they'll they'll come to me after the show is over naturally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh you know agricola the, the competition is very much about you know it's as simple as i just need to get some of these resources and then can i build really efficiently with them can i sort of right. integrate them into a plan i don't know what i'm going to be able to draw based on the resources that other people are grabbing we're all drawing from the same pool but ultimately it's this kind of the moment of competition is just hoping someone else doesn't muck up your plan and maybe right. trying to anticipate what someone else needs uh, and maybe you can maybe you can spike uh, their entire game with you know by grabbing a pile of stone, for instance. But but ultimately, it's it's not it's not violent conflict, and it's not even particularly intense or direct competition. Uh, and it certainly seems like a lot of a lot a lot of Euro games sort of follow you know follow that pattern, where ultimately you're kind of playing a um, you know a maximization game uh, by yourself. But you, the worst ones do, yes. The worst ones make you play, feel like you're playing a solitaire game uh, with a, a whole bunch of other people sitting around the table playing a solitaire game. I agree with you. Yeah, that is definitely the worst of European wargaming. Right. Or, or board, board, game. Board, European, board gaming. The Euro game, yes. Yeah. The worst Euro game is the game that... Multiplayer solitaire. You, yeah. Yes, exactly. And the best Euro game is the game where you're really playing against other people, but you have things to do while they're thinking. Or there's... Every time they do something, you have a chance to do something that directly influences them. Right. So that it's not you're not just waiting like, oh, I, I moved, so now I have to wait for four people to play. Right. right? I mean, that's the right. whole to me, and I, this is really not a in any way insightful uh, in, in insight in any way. I'm sure a million people have thought, know this is that you know the whole point of Eurogaming is that it it help it uh, it involved all the players in the game all the time. I mean, that's that's what I found with, uh, you know, Settlers, which is, I think, was one of my first Euro games. Well, although, actually, I would argue that that, that, that does it less well than so many of other course, games. Of course, yeah, of course, I, mean, I agree games with you. Like, I, I, games like Puerto yeah. Rico. No, you don't, you don't need to argue, I, I don't need, yeah, we, we agree on that. But my point is that compared to other games that I had played where I moved and then I'm done and you got to, you know, you can I can go make a sandwich because you're going to be thinking about what you're going to do. Uh, you know, you were constantly, you know, you were involved, and as I played better and better games along those lines, mm-hmm. um, I was always more involved. I want to hear, I want to hear Rob's idea about an Occupy movement Agricola. That's what I want to hear about. <laughs> oh god, that was just email thread bullshitting. Oh, um, 
Uh, I thought you had some some like genius idea. I was all set to like write up a contract. We're gonna sell it. We're gonna like make millions of dollars, and we're gonna teach people how to uh, you know how to co-op uh, co the police force exactly. Park spaces, yeah. Yes. Uh, no, I, I did want to ask you guys about uh, Twilight Struggle uh, because that, you know that's a game I haven't played, but I am interested in this idea. And and, and Troy brought it up earlier mm -hmm. with uh, Supreme Ruler Cold War. I'm really interested in these. Uh, games about conflict that can be anything but violent. And uh, is is Twilight Struggle just a 1960 with a different theme on it, or does it have a bit more uh, direct conflict going on? There, it's a little, it's a little more confrontational in that the stakes seem higher um, because uh, you know shit can hit the fan and it can all go horribly wrong. So, so it has that sort of nuclear Armageddon quality hanging over it a little bit. Um, the mechanics are are very, very similar to what's going on in 1960. Um, but part of what's so interesting about that game is you're simulating uh, you know, far more things going on, right? You've got the space race and you've got political intrigue and you've got military buildup and, and sort of the brinksmanship of the Cold War sort of all playing into it. So it, it all feels slightly more like there's more at stake. Epic um, scope. Yeah. That's the cliche. Yeah. yeah. Epic scope. Right. That's the cliche, exactly. Um, but again, I, I think also an extreme. I mean, whether whether that's nonviolent depends on how things pan out. Um, but uh, you, you know, I think the uh, the core of that is just still a great system. Um, I think it's better in 1960 than it is in Twilight Struggle. Well, I mean, I don't know that you can call Twilight Struggle a nonviolent game. It's 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 tough, yeah. Because you, you, yeah, yeah. Just, you do undermine, just, yeah, proxy yeah, wars and all yeah, this stuff. Just, right? Yeah, that's, there's nothing nonviolent about it, except that there's no final, you know, World War Three Soviets invade Western Europe, uh, you know, nuclear Armageddon. There's that that doesn't happen. If you if I mean, that the person who triggers that loses the game, right? So, but I I don't think it's a very um, Nonviolent, and and I I'm actually told by you know our long lost brother Tom Chick that uh, Labyrinth, which is the uh, sort of uh, follow on uh, game to that, is actually a better game. And I've actually played Labyrinth with Tom Chick, and I disagree, but I think that uh, I, I I don't like Labyrinth as much as I like Twilight Struggle. There's a, by the way, there's a new game coming out called Andean Abyss. Uh, which will allow you to play um, Colombian narco terrorists. It's it's, it's a, like a three to four player game, actually, very interesting. Coming out from GMT, so uh, there'll be a link to that at the bottom of this podcast. You can uh, get on the ground floor by pre-ordering, as I have. Intriguing. But, um, yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> I mean, I think that for you know for a certain uh, group of people, the you know the, the subject matter of you know NATO. And um, Cold War is still very compelling, and so you know, just seeing stuff about uh, Lech Wałęsa or um, uh, you know Angola, nineteen seventy-five. I mean, all those things, you know, are, are, are interesting historical hooks that people just want to see. So, just like I right. want to flip over pictures of Nixon, you know, people want to flip over pictures of the Marshall Plan. I mean, I want to flip over pictures of Marshall. Awesome, but. Um, you know, it's it's all about. I mean, it, it really is. I, mean, I think it really is all about gaming as escapism. And so, you know, what are you going to escape into? You're going to escape into things that, you know, it's the the chances of me leading some, you know, major, uh, you know, world uh, upheaval, you know, revolution are zero. 
but uh, you know, and especially and the and the chances of me leading, uh, you know, the uh, the fall of communism are less than zero. But we can always, you know, we, we as people want to sort of escape into those things that we're interested in, and and for the same reason. Uh, I think that people that would be interested in, like I, I think Julian said it earlier, maybe Rob said it, I can't remember, um, that the people who would be interested in a game about, uh, you know, stopping fracking, or you know, uh, successfully, you know, drilling the, uh, you know, the North Slope in Alaska, the people that are interested in doing that aren't going to play a game about it. They're just going to go do it, right? Which is my big problem with games about. You know, having computer games teach you how to, you know, co-opt a police force. Gaming is inherently an escapist, isolationist almost endeavor. And people who are motivated to do that kind of thing are going to probably spend more time uh, interacting with people than interacting with with some kind of um, badly constructed uh, protest training simulator. So... <laughs> I think I think escapism is part of it, but it's also that gaming is, in many ways, and has always been, a a, a, a fantasy about power. They're power fantasies. Right. They're about making people feel well making put. people feel strong that yeah. they have control over something that they're right. winning something. Um, and that's what we call winners and losers, right? So it's a power fantasy, and the greater the power, the more I mean, life and death. I mean, what's better? What's bigger than that, right? Right. So. Um, yeah, so if escapism plus power fantasy, then you're going to have games that are inherently they're going to be a, a lot have a lot of conflict and war, and killing dragons and the like. So people who yeah. have a need to fulfill that power fantasy are going to probably not play computer games. Pardon? People, people, people who, who don't who who need to fulfill that power fantasy right. as more than just a fantasy are probably right. not going to play computer games. Yeah, just, pe- yeah, pe- I... people who, who who really want to or have to or have it in their power to. Right. Um, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg has plays a lot of computer games. He looks like he might, but somehow I think he can just have he can just have, have gladiators show up, and he can tell them what to do. So. <laughs> I love that image. I it's see like, him as a dwarf fortress guy myself. Oh God, we didn't bring up dwarf fortress. Dwarf fortress, you, you're it's so violent. You, you yeah. have to fight off elves, right? Yeah, you do. It's pretty freaking violent, dudes. Yeah. That's so. Uh, th- this topic sort of originated with a, a question, and part of it was some recommendations for games that do for good strategy games that do cover uh, nonviolent subjects. Uh, so I'd be curious to hear uh, board games or PC games. I'd be curious to hear some suggestions uh, fr- from you all. I mean, for for my part, I, th- there are some obvious city builders. Uh, you know, I, I might mention. I think I think Tropico Four is a lot of fun, and A Force More Powerful is really interesting. Like it's a game that. I am really glad I played because I've never seen anything else like it. And as we discussed earlier, there's so many cool ideas there that I just would love to see get picked up by someone else. Uh, Unfortunately, that, it's it's out of print, and you can't even buy it online anymore. Really? What is, what is out yeah. of print? Of course, more, more powerful. powerful. Oh man. So yeah, I mean, uh, City Builders is my go-to here. I think uh, uh, City Life is a good one because there's you have uh, different social classes in your city. Uh, you have you have hipsters and tech people and business people and blue collar workers and they all have different priorities and you have to build your city to keep them happy. Um, they're not going to riot and tear down the city, but it's a city builder about conflict within an urban environment 
about building neighborhoods and still meeting all of their needs. So I would say if you're going to do a city builder that's challenging and about nonviolent conflict or nonviolent struggles and problems, nonviolent confrontation, I think city life uh, from a Jessica would be the way to go. Yeah, I don't have any suggestions for any nonviolent computer games. I think if you're playing a nonviolent computer game, you're, you've somehow gone wrong. <laughs> you just need to just get a grip on yourself. Problem. All right. I have a, I have a board game suggestion. Yes. Go ahead. Board games are fine. We like board games. Carson City. Ooh, excellent uh, choice. Although it's not totally nonviolent because there is a sheriff. <laughs> That's so, true. So, point of Carson City, and I think I really like the game Carson. It's basically about an set in the Old West, and you basically stake claims and then develop those claims. Uh, it's a very, it's like it's like Kalis in the Old West almost. At least it borrows some mechanics from Kalis. You do all this basically by taking resources and sort of, a, you know, I choose, you choose kind of mechanic, and then using those resources to develop plots of land, and which then you buy uh, buildings, which then genu- generate revenue, um, all without really having any real gunfights. Or, and, uh, and it's about the Old West, and there aren't enough games about the Old West. So. I agree. I would definitely uh, Carson City. There will be a link to that at the bottom. There's certainly certainly not a lot of non-violent games about the Old West. Correct. Not all of us can play Boot Hill. Oh, you had to invoke Boot Hill, dude! I played so much Boot Hill. Oh, it's I love Boot, he- Boot Hill. Uh, d- why does every time I put you two on a show together, this happens? <laughs> <laughs> and then Troy and I just awkwardly sitting across the table watching you guys make out. <laughs> yeah, Boot Hill was a great game. And I under, I see that uh, Julian agrees. So. Uh, it's it's brilliant. So it must brilliant. be true. Yeah. No. I I think I think it's unanimous at this point. What uh, so what's uh, what's uh, Julian's nonviolent game? Uh, you know, there's so many good. I it's hard for me to go past Agricola because I still think that's one of the best games of the last ten mm. years. Well, that is our official game. Okay. Okay. Is, is it the official game? Are they paying us? No. You can't be an official game of something. <laughs> You can't I wish be an official they were. anything without somebody writing you a check. Really? Yeah. Oh, no, okay. that's how it works. I mean, right, I mean, honestly, it's check. it's virtually um virtually every game that I play on a board game night doesn't involve blowing stuff up. I mean, you not true. Wrong. Not true if I'm playing a two player game. Most two player games I play are about killing the other guy. But the bigger games are all about resource management and territory control and generally nonviolent interaction. So, interesting. What about Hera and Zeus? That's not nonviolent. You're you're beating beating people up. How about Jumbo? Jumbo, great trading game, nonviolent two player. I like abandoned ship. But the that's mice a, all die. Adorable. <laughs> well, not one of one of them gets off. <laughs> I guess it's nonviolent. Although you can you can make it so that your fellow mice get drowned. I don't know. It's the it's the only it's the only Kinesia game I've encountered that doesn't make me want to just like throw things. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's got that going for it but um speaking of Kinesia what about modern art that is a fantastic game that's also completely nonviolent. absolutely although some As of the it, some of those industrial guys get you know what's a Daimachiner or whatever his name is yeah exactly <laughs> what about the, or Ra I guess that's another Raw. Au- any auction game is a, is basically nonviolent. Uh, Bonanza we could just do this all night long. Oh my yeah. god! Really right. Taxes. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting you guys off. <laughs> yeah. Oh god! You, you don't all have right. to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. All right, everybody. Uh, so that was our show on nonviolence, and uh, 
Well, that's that's probably the last one of those we'll ever do. <laughs> <laughs> no, we feel talk about them in other themes. Actually, I do, I do kind of want to talk about the Anno series uh, in the new year, certainly. We need to do Anno 2070. We need to do Unity of Command. There's a yeah. lot of games came out Yeah, last Unity of Command would be good to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, any games where you co-opt a police force. You're just not going to let that go, are you? Good God, like Never. a dog with a bone. I know. All right. I'm cutting you guys off. In Bruce's world, the police force is always loyal to the people in power. Absolutely. If a cop beats you up, it's probably because you were doing something wrong. Right. No I matter know, how, no matter how corrupt. He's like, he's like three moves ahead. It's Ron Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night, all. Bye.